How many of you have ever heard of the Redneck Comedy Tour? Have you heard of them? It's Jeff Foxworthy, Bill Langable. There are a couple other people I won't say their names because they're not as nice, but... Jeff Foxworthy is the one that always said, that started, you might be a redneck if... Um, and I have southern roots, so some of those are hit a little closer to home than others, maybe. Uh, but another guy that was on there was Bill Engelbal. And Bill Engelbal, his, his routine always included stupid people. And since I'm not really a big fan of stupid people, Bill Engelbal's not really a fan of stupid people, I think he and I would get along. But several of his jokes were, where he would talk about holding up a sign for people when they ask a dumb question. Anyone ever been asked a dumb question? I know there are some of you right now saying... No, Brian, there's no such thing as a dumb question. <laughs> Let me give you a couple examples. If I walk into you, if, if I, you're a nurse or a doctor in an emergency room, and I walk in and my arm is hanging off, and you say, where are you feeling the most pain at? That's a dumb question. Right here. Show it to you, right? If I'm bringing a fork full of food to my mouth and you walk in my office and say, oh, I'm sorry, are you eating lunch? That's a dumb question, right? Yeah, I'm eating my lunch. Leave. So there are dumb questions out there, right? How many, you've probably been asked one before. Maybe You've probably never asked a dumb question, I'm sure. You've just had them asked of you. But we know what dumb questions are, right? We're going to talk today about what seems to be... See, somebody else has a... I, I love it. Somebody praising Jesus over there. We're going to look today at what appears to be a dumb question from Jesus. Whoa, whoa. Don't say Jesus asked dumb questions. But you listen to the story and you tell me whether you would say this is a dumb question or not. Okay? We'll let you raise your hands at the end and you can tell me whether you think it's a dumb question. I just told my wife, too, i got to get a large print preaching Bible now because the old eyeballs aren't working quite as good as they used to. Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem. For Would I give you time to get it? You're still rustling pages, aren't you? I'm sorry. I'm kind of a fast, kind of fast talker, you know what I mean? And I'll tell you this, too. While you're finding it, one time I was preaching a sermon at an old country church down in Kentucky, and I was going to preach... I was going to preach on the story of Elijah on Mount Carmel. I told the church to turn to the book of Elijah. They all looked at me like I was crazy. I, <laughs> and somebody in the front row goes, there isn't one. Oh, yeah, let's turn to 1 Kings. We'll talk about Elijah. So you should be getting close to John chapter 5 now. Where we see this. Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city, near the Sheep Gate, was the pool of Bethesda. With five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, Would you like to get well? I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Instantly, the man was healed. 
he rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. But this miracle happened on the Sabbath. So the Jewish leaders objected. They said to the man who was cured, You can't work on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry that sleeping mat. But he replied, The man who healed me told me, Pick up your mat and walk. Well, who said such a thing? They demanded. The man didn't know, for Jesus had disappeared into the crowd. But afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and told him, Now you are well, so stop sinning, or something even worse may happen to you. How many say that seems like a dumb question? Oh, come on. The guy's been sick for 38 years. He's been laying by a pool trying to get well for 38 years. And Jesus says, do you want to get well? I'm thinking Peter elbowed John when they did that, when he heard Jesus say that. <laughs> you, see, you see Jesus just got that guy. You want to get well. Of course he wants to get well, Jesus. <laughs> but the funny part of it isn't that Jesus seems to ask a dumb question. It's that the man doesn't answer it. I don't know why. We'll try and find out, though. Hopefully by the end we'll have some idea. What does the man say? Does he say, because I can tell you, if, I'm, if I've been crippled for 38 years and some guy walks by me and says, hey, you want to get better? I'm probably going to say, yes, I would love to be better. Absolutely. Heck yeah, I want to be better. Make me better. But he doesn't, does he? What's his answer? He, he started us out with the victim mentality. Anyone ever heard of the victim mentality? Listen to what this guy says. Sir, I can't. I, I can't get well because every time the water bubbles up, somebody beats me into the pool. So I can't get in there. Can you just hear this guy say, uh, he might have been a little whiny. Maybe, maybe not that quite that whiny, I don't know. But somewhere in there, he doesn't answer the question. He doesn't say, yes, I want to get better. So the question for us is, why does the guy not answer the question? And is Jesus' question as dumb as it seems to be? I say no. Why is it not a dumb question? We're going to look at three reasons why I think that this question of Jesus is not really as dumb as it seems at the outset. First of all, getting well affects your identity. Think about this guy. How long has he been crippled? Ooh, we're going to have to work on this. 38 years, right? When was the last time he walked? 38 years ago. You guys do good math. I love you. This guy's been laying here beside a pool where other people are jumping in, getting well, for 38 years. What is he known as? The 38-year-old cripple. The 38-year cripple, right? People walk by the pool, and they see that guy, and they're giving a tour. Maybe the, maybe, maybe the religious leaders give tours of the pool. I don't know, but they're walking by, and they say, oh, yeah, and that guy's been here for 38 years, poor guy. <laughs> He's probably never going to get better, but that's okay. Moving right along, we'll look at this. We'll talk. He's been known as that. And so people, as they've come to the pool, because other people come to the pool, he's probably been talked about, and he's probably had some conversations. And I mean, really, that's a pretty good story to tell. You've been crippled for 38 years. 
let's look at it this way. How many of you like just a little, just a little, not a whole lot. I'm not asking you to put yourself out there too far. But how many of you like being sick just a little bit? Why would I ask that question? What happens when you don't feel well or you're injured? You don't have to go to school. Woohoo! What else happens? People treat you a little better when you don't feel well than they do when you're feeling well, right? I mean, if you've got the flu, mom or dad, if you're a kid, husband or wife, hopefully, brings you something every once in a while, something nice, you know. You get treated a little well. You, you don't have to do quite as much around the house. They give you a little freedom, right? Oh, I know you don't feel well, so when you feel better, can you take care of this? You know, there, there's all the, there's, there are some benefits, small as they may be, to being sick, right? I mean, re- realistically, no one when you're sick is actually treated worse all the time. So think about this guy. For 38 years, everybody's known him as the cripple. He's that guy. He's that guy that can't walk. He's that guy that's been there forever. He's that guy that'll never get well. He's that guy. And so people have come. They've talked to him. They've shared their story with him. They've probably helped him. How's he lived? What's he doing for work? He's not. So people are having to provide for him, right? So aside from the crippledness, he's got it pretty good. I understand that's a big thing. But He's been known for all these years as the cripple guy by the pool. If he gets well, who does he become? Same old working fool like the rest of us. Right? He's going to be seen now. He's no longer going to be the 38-year cripple. People are no longer going to feel sorry for him because you know as soon as you feel better, (laughs) all bets are off. Right? You've got the flu. Oh, I'll bring you dinner. I'll bring you lunch. I'll bring you breakfast. But then once you feel better, uh-uh, you better go get your own. Right? It's okay. So this guy has been known. This has been his identity. His identity. He is known as one thing. And when Jesus comes and asks him, do you want to get well? That's about to change, isn't it? He's about to get a whole new identity. It's not really about the guy being crippled, is it? It's about your life. Think about who you are or were before you met Jesus and before you gave your life to Christ. It probably looked differently than it does now. Would you say? But I'll tell you I know from experience and from talking to people, one of the things that holds people back more, almost more than anything is the fact that when they give their life to Christ, they're going to be known as somebody different and they're afraid of that. Maybe I've been known as the guy who tells great jokes. Maybe I've been known as the pretty girl that flirts. Maybe I've been known as the guy that gets angry and he gets things done because he gets angry and throws a fit and everybody does what he wants because I'm an angry man. Whatever it might be, we all have one identity before we accept Jesus. And when Jesus comes into our life, and when we accept Jesus, that changes. Or at least it should. That's scary to some people. That holds people back. That's what keeps people where they are. That's what keeps people from getting well. You ask people, do you really want to get well? Well, <laughs> I'm not sure. I kind of like who I am now. 
Yeah, I'd like to go to heaven, but can I just stay who I am and go to heaven too? Can I have them both? When you get serious about your relationship with Jesus Christ, your life will change. And you will become known as something different. That's kind of scary. I mean, think about it. This guy's been crippled for 38 years. Now he's, if he gets well, he's got to go get a job. He's got to get up. He's got to go walk around. He's got to do everything else everybody else has to do. But you'll be healed. It's kind of our struggle too, isn't it? Sometimes it's easier to have those crippling things than actually do what it takes to get rid of them. That's why Jesus said, do you want to get well? Do you want to improve? Or do you like your life now? Well, sir, uh, okay. But not only does getting well affect your identity, it also affects your work ethic. Because... I really like Jesus. He's kind of a cool dude. Because after after this guy says that, after this guy whines to him, he's like, I can't, I can't get in the water, sir. You're gonna, I'm just going to be here forever. Jesus says, okay, get up, pick up your mat and walk. Don't miss that. See, I think some of you missed that. How long has the guy been crippled? 38 years. 38 years. You ever, like, anybody ever, like, have a stiff muscle or a broken arm or something like that and you try to go through? You know something? Any, is anybody in here a physical therapist? Okay, good. <laughs> physical therapists are some of the scariest people I know. You know why? Because they're a marine drill sergeant. Crossed with Barney. <laughs> Anybody ever been to physical therapy? Yeah, those physical therapists there. Oh, I know you got two more in there. I'm sure that you can do them. Yep, you're going to get them done. I just believe in you. You're going to get them done. Now, I grew up in a military-type household. You get in my face and scream at me, I'll get it done. You don't let me off, but be nice to me? That is messing me up. It takes work to get better, doesn't it? Think about this guy. 38 years he's been laying by this one pool, waiting to get in, and some guy he doesn't know, because the scripture tells us he doesn't know him, some guy he doesn't know, walks by, says, oh, hey, you want to get better? Okay, stand up and walk. Oh, pick that mat thing up. You're not going to need it anymore. Now see, what Jesus should have done, if he was going to make it easier on the feller, is help him, right? Hey, sir, I'm going to make you better, but I know, you're, I know your legs are kind of weak because it's been 38 years, so let me help you up. Okay, okay, okay yep, you, ah, yep, you can do it. No. He does nothing. He just says, hey, get up. Right, come on. Get up, walk. Yep, okay, pick it up. Yep, let's go. All right. What do you think is going on in that guy's head? Mm-mm, 
brother, I ain't standing up because if I tried to stand up on these legs that have been crippled for 38 years, I'm going to fall and look like a fool. And I'm by a pool. If I try to get up, fall, and land in a pool, I can't swim. You ever watch a new horse be born or like an animal be born? They start, they, they try to walk right away, but it's like their legs are like this, and they're trying to stand up, and they're falling, and it's kind of comical. I get, a, I get a good chuckle out of it, right? Getting well actually takes work. See, some of us like the fact that the Bible tells us we're saved by grace through faith. And that not of works so that no man can boast. And we stand on that. And I believe that with all of my heart. There is nothing at all that I can do to earn my salvation. I cannot do anything that makes me worthy to spend life eternally with Jesus. It is completely by faith and grace. By grace alone through faith alone. But let me tell you. James says in chapter 2, just as the body without breath is dead, so faith without works is dead. If I don't have breath in my body, I'm dead. Dead, I'm no good to anybody. Right? It's okay, this means yes, this means no. If I'm dead, I'm not helping anybody as a dead person. And what James says is, if... You don't have faith that goes along with works. Then maybe you really don't have faith. Because your faith is dead. This guy had a choice. He had a choice to make. He he could have said, nope, I kind of like it here. He could have rolled those questions over in his head. What's going to happen when I get better? Should I? Shouldn't I? Do I want to? Do I not want to? Is it going to be bad? Is it going to be better? Is it going to be worse? Is it going to be yucky? What am I going to have to do? He could have had all those questions. He could have said, "Ah, no, that's okay. He had a choice to make. I'm either going to not listen to this guy and stay on my mat, or or I'm going to get up and I'm going to carry that thing and I'm going to walk out of here. You know what he chooses? He chooses to get better. Right? He says, I don't like this place that I am. I don't like living like this. I don't like having this crippledness. I want to be well. So he says, okay, this guy told me to get up and walk. And so I'm going to get up and walk and I'm going to pick up my mat. And he starts walking away. Jesus wants you to be in heaven with him. Never think anything differently. And Rex said this a couple weeks ago, so I, I feel like I'm okay saying it. Some of us have invested in fire insurance instead of getting better. Some of us have said, I don't want to go to hell. And the preacher said, I'm saved by grace through faith, so if I say this prayer, maybe if I even go to the point of getting baptized, then I'm going to be okay. See, fire insurance cost me, cost me very little. Getting well costs my life. Do you want to get well? Do you want to be better? 
God has a responsibility for you. He has a role for you to play in the kingdom. He has lives for you to save. He has people for you to bring to him. Think about it. We've seen a pattern in the book of John about people that meet Jesus, haven't we? The pattern is this. People meet Jesus. They spend time with Jesus. They go bring somebody to Jesus. Isn't that the pattern? Look back at John 1, 2, 3. Look at when, they, when he met the first disciples. Andrew says, this guy's pretty cool. Peter, guess who I met? you got to come see this guy. The woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well. And she said, oh, that's cool. I'm glad I met you, sir. Let me fill my water jug up. No, she left her water jug and did what? Went and told the whole town. We have a job to do as Christians. Our job is to share Jesus with other people. It's to let people know. I told you some of the scariest people in the world are physical therapists. Some of my favorite people in the world are new Christians. I love them. Watch them sometime. Watch somebody who finds Jesus. Watch how they live their life. Watch what they do. Watch how they talk to people. You can't shut them up. They can't find enough people to talk to Jesus about. Right? Man, I was I was lost. That's why that's why the song Amazing Grace says I was once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. That's what that's what new Christians do. They just go out there and they say, Oh, let me tell you. Let me tell you. Hey, can I tell you? Let me tell you. This guy gets up and starts walking. I'm thinking he's fresh. He might have tried to skip. Woo Oh yeah. My new legs. Right? I mean, he's been crippled for 38 years and now he can walk. I'm not just going to go, oh, that was nice, thanks. I'm going to let people know that I can walk now. I might even show them off a little bit. I might even swing them around. I don't know. (laughs) And then the church people find out. That's what they were then, the religious people. The religious leaders. Because... That's our third one. When you get well, it's going to have an effect on other people. <laughs> Look at this. This is just like this is just like religious people. God loves them. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. But here it comes. This miracle happened on the Sabbath. So the Jewish leaders objected. They said to the man who was cured, You can't work on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry that sleeping mat. Just like a new Christian, look at this. But he replied, The man who healed me told me to pick it up, pick up the mat and walk. Well, who said such a thing? The man didn't know. <laughs> Isn't that cool? <laughs> this guy's like, mm, I don't know him. <laughs> but he told me to walk and now I'm walking. So... You do whatever you want to about me carrying this mat thing. I'm walking. See ya. Right? Isn't that what it says? You see, what happens is when you start getting serious about giving your life to Jesus, what's going to happen is people are going to be affected. Some people are going to be overly excited for you and they're going to surround you with love and they're going to help you and they're going to come walk beside you and they're going to be there to pick you up because just like a new baby, you're going to fall a few times, you're going to make a few mistakes and, and, and that's, that's cool because that's, that's how you grow. 
But there's going to be some people that are going to have their checklist out, just like the Pharisees. <laughs> right, here, right here in Leviticus, it says, don't carry your sleeping mat after you're healed on the Sabbath. Tisk, tisk. <laughs> Remember I said earlier, don't miss it. They missed it, didn't they? Hey, the guy's been crippled for 38 years. Now we can walk. How about we just celebrate that? How about we just get excited about the fact that somebody that couldn't walk now can? How about we forget about that whole, I understand, there's that whole thing about the Sabbath. How about we just forget about that for a little bit and let's celebrate with the guy and help the guy learn how to use his new legs. Wouldn't that be cool? When I was a pastor in, at one of, the, one of the churches I pastored, we had a church softball team, and a guy came to the, a, a guy accepted the Lord, trying to make some changes in his life. And we're playing softball one day, and uh, he uh, he he said a wordy dirt on the way to first base because he tripped coming out of the batter's box. Y'all know what a wordy dirt is, right? It's a dirty word. I can't say it in the pulpit. I was at a church that was mostly mostly older folks and they hadn't really seen new Christians in a while. Um, so he's running to first base. He starts to trip. Out comes this wordy dirt. And all of the people in my stands sucked all of the oxygen out of the atmosphere. <laughs> He said a bad word. I thought he was a Christian. We just baptized him two weeks ago, and he just cussed. I actually got phone calls that week. Brian, we need to have a talk about. Huh? How about we have a talk about you? Can we just be excited about the fact that the guy's better? Can we just celebrate that he's not lost on his way to hell anymore? Can we just be excited that somebody has found Jesus and they're trying to find their way? Can't we just enjoy that? Just in case you're wondering, I did not talk to him about it. Pretty sure the fact that he's excited about being Jesus is okay. Because there's grace to cover sin, right? God probably has enough grace to cover that wordy dirt on the way to first base. Let him take care of that. Do you want to get well? I mean, do you really want to be better? You see, we're not going to get well until heaven. We're not actually completely well until we get there. We're working toward it. We have responsibilities. And there's people that are going to look down on us. There's people that are going to celebrate with us. But do you really want to get well? Do you, do you really want to put the work in to become a follower of Christ? Do you, do you really want to change your identity to, become, to be known as somebody different? Do you really want to have an effect on those around you that draws them closer to Jesus? Or are you, are you okay with where you are?
I really like this story. I don't know if you can tell or not, but I really like this story. This guy and I have some things in common. My life really hasn't been all that, all that clean. I preached my first sermon when I was 14 years old. Dealt the Church of Christ. I stood up in the pulpit, preached my first sermon, loved it. I gave my life to, I committed my life to full-time Christian service. At 16. I entered Bible college at Kentucky Christian College at 18. And had huge dreams of what I was going to do for the Lord. I was going to be the pastor of some huge church. Or I was going to travel and preach all around the country or all around the world and be an evangelist like Billy Graham or some, someone like that. That, that's what I, that's, that was the vision I had for my life. I worked for a year at a church of 10,000 people, Southeast Christian Church. I was on the activities ministry. I was considered a ministry intern, but, but I put together golf leagues, volleyball leagues, and that kind of stuff. It was a blast. I left Southeast and went to a church in Fremont, Ohio. And as a young pastor at that church, a woman that wasn't my wife became pregnant with my child. And my dreams were destroyed. I'll never preach again. The church actually asked me back. I think they had some motives that I didn't understand at the time, but they asked me back. But when I went back, I was still only 26 or so, pretty arrogant. I had worked at a big church, so I knew how to do church. And if they would just listen to me, I would tell them how to make this church of 35 people into a church of 3,500. And we, they just needed to listen to me and shut their mouth and do what I said. Obviously, that didn't work out very well. So I became a cop. Not long after becoming a cop, the woman that I was married to first and I began to have some trouble. And I went through a divorce. So now my history is big dreams of being a pastor of a big church or well-known evangelist. Now I've created a child outside of wedlock and I'm divorced. (laughs) I'll really never preach again. But Praise only to God. And only by His grace did I find my way into a church that practices what, it, what is preached and they love God and they love others. And I spent time with a pastor, Rex, that 
lives out what he teaches. And one time offered me the opportunity to preach. And I'm grateful to you for allowing him to let me preach. Because you guys haven't complained loud enough yet that he's stopped letting me preach. But it's been work. And my identity has had to change. Because those visions that I had of big church big evangelism, travel, preach, speak to big crowds, raise up a large church. The truth is, I wanted some of that for myself. I I, I wanted to be able to say, yeah, yeah, I, I, I preach at a big church, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm going over here to preach, and I'm going over there to preach, and I'm going, yep. And God said, hey, Brian, do you want to get well? Because getting well, Brian, means loving me. And it means you doing what I ask you to do. Whether it's grandiose or not, whether it's impressive or not, whether it's what you want to do or not. I have a job for you in the kingdom, Brian, and and I can use you. And I've given you some gifts, but you've got to be using them for me. It's work. People see me at work. I have to remember there's people at work that are watching me. They know who I am. We've started a Bible study for, for police officers in Toledo. It's called Disciples in Blue. But people know that I'm part of the leadership of that. I have to be careful how I live. Because people are watching. My question to you is the same question that Jesus asked the cripple, and he's asked me on several occasions in my life. Do you want to get well? Do you really want Jesus to take over your life? Do you really want to experience what God has for you? The crippled man. If it was just about salvation, if really all that mattered was salvation, Jesus could have said this to the man that was crippled. Hey, I know you got it kind of bad in this life, but the next one's really cool. Why did he save him? Why did he heal him? Why did he give him, why did he say, do you want to get well? Because he had a ministry for that guy to do, right? And it started right away. I don't know. Some guy told me to get up and carry my mat, so I did. What's God done in your life? (laughs) What does he want you to do? And what are you going to do about it? Do you want to get well? Or are you okay where you're at? The worship team is going to come and we're going to sing a song. And while, while we're singing that song, I want you to take some time. You and God. 
you sit there and we go through scripture and we go through some stories and talk to you and share with you. But then there has to be some time for you to kind of process that. And that's what this time is. This is your time to kind of let the Holy Spirit work in your own heart and in your own life and in your own mind. And maybe share with you some, some direction that he wants you to go. So let's pray. God, none of us deserve what you've promised. Getting well really has nothing to do with anything we've done. It's all about what you've done in our life. But you've also asked us to put forth some effort. To do some things. And Lord, I believe with all of my heart that what you want us to do is help people find you. So God, I pray that today you'll teach us. I pray that you'll work in our hearts. I pray that you'll work in our, in our minds and you'll show us some people we can share with. You'll give us some verses to study. You'll give us some courage to stand up. You'll, you, you'll give us the desire to get well. Because really at the end of it, Lord, we're better and we're well. And someday we're with you. God, we love you and we thank you. We give you all the praise and all the glory. In your son's name we pray. Amen.